and welcome to episode two of the Horrible Health History Podcast. This is a health podcast for history buffs. Welcome to the recording studio, also known as my bedroom. Thank you for being here. I'm Anna. And I am a biology student, and my guest today is Emily. Emily, you are not a biology student. Not at all, no. Not at all. You study public. Something. Public. <laughs> I don't know. Something that's not science. <laughs> so, um, Budget PPE. <laughs> so, the we're not doing a person like we did last week. Damn. I know, I know. We're actually doing um, something you've heard about. Have I? Yes. We're doing a Are you pandemic. sure? Oh, you, you, I'd be, I'm surprised what you don't know sometimes, <laughs> but you'll be fine. So we're talking about a pandemic. Um, so what do you know about the flu? It's a virus. Pretty good. It's contagious. Yes. Do you know what the virus is called? Influenza. Yeah. Yeah. It's influenza virus. It's pretty contagious. One thing to note about the flu is it is endemic in the human population. So I'll just tell you what that means because it's a bit of a weird word. Um, it's basically a disease that is found among a particular group of people or area. In the flu's case, it's found almost everywhere and it usually appears every winter. Fun fact, another endemic disease is bubonic plague, which is endemic to Mongolia. Love that. Have, you, have you been reading the news recently? No. There have been some cases of bubonic plague in Mongolia. I Wasn't that like two years ago? No, this year. <laughs> okay. I thought it was like two years ago well, they had cases in China. Well, it's endemic to the area, so you get cases frequently. The, rodent, the rodents there have it, so if you play around with a rodent too much, you might get bubonic plague. Before we get into the episode is what epidemic is, as opposed to endemic. Epidemic is the increase in the amount of people that are affected above what is normal. It's usually a disease that's out of control. And this important book's coronavirus that we're experiencing in 2020 is an epidemic. It's out of control. Many more people have it than what's expected. And it has gone so far to have been declared a pandemic, which is where it's spread over multiple countries or continents. And it is a big deal, which is why the World Health Organization declared it a pandemic. So an endemic disease, a disease that's usually found at a lowish level among the population, can become an epidemic when there's an increase in the amount of the causative agent or the virulence of the agent. Mm -hmm. Do you know what virulence means? Explain it for the listeners. So virulence is basically the severity, how bad it is. Um, other reasons it can become an epidemic is it's been introduced in place where it's not usually found or it's increased the mode of transmission so more people are exposed to it or maybe even like new ways it enters the body. Yeah, so that's the flu. Do you remember we had flu last year? Fuck me, dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great, was it? Both of us had it. Fun fact, when I was in year seven, I got the flu, but it was only in my knee. And I had to spend time in hospital because they thought it was arthritis. It was just the flu. Just influenza virus. Just just influenza virus trapped under my kneecap. So I thought this episode would be interesting to do because of coronavirus. Basically, I thought it'd be 
This was the last, the, the 1918 influenza pandemic. I don't know if I've introduced the topic yet, but that's what we're doing today. And it was probably the last time that we've seen something similar to what's happening in 2020. So, yeah, pretty severe. Basically, the first wave of Spanish flu struck in the spring of 1918. There was nothing particularly Spanish about it, but it attracted that name unfairly because the press um, was because Spain was neutral and the press in other countries wanted to basically keep up the war war morale. (laughs) They wanted to keep up the war morale and they blamed it on Spain. So as you do. Yeah. So the newspapers in wartime countries were censored and Spain was neutral. So they blamed it on Spain. It was flu and flu, as we know, is transmitted by breath, by coughs and sneezes. It's a respiratory virus. It is highly contagious and spreads most easily when people are packed together in high densities. Yeah. When people are living together. Yeah. Um, So it's basically just coronavirus, like the prequel. Coronavirus is pretty, well, it's a respiratory virus. So yeah, there are parallels. Um, So because one problem with the 1918 influenza pandemic and all pan- all epidemics of influenza is that because it's an endemic disease, it's found every year in various parts of the world, it's hard to say where it came from um, because at that time, like in a year, many, many places will have flu outbreaks. Um, one review and the most popular conclusion is that it originated in Haskell County, Kansas. This is the most popular, currently the most popular um, theory about where it started, but there are other places. Like the flu? Nin- the 1918 influenza pandemic. Oh, okay. It started in Haskell County, yeah. Kansas. There are other places where it could have started. This guy called J.S. Oxford hypothesised that it started in a British army post in France in 1916, and the autopsy reports so, so similar symptoms of these people. But there are problems with these alternative hypotheses. One, one theory was that it had an outbreak in China in 1918. But again, this, this particular outbreak that they're saying could have started it was actually minor and it didn't seem to spread. Other outbreaks that have been cited as influenza appear not to have been actual flu, such as pneumonic plague, which is a bacterial disease and not viral. Other outbreaks in France and India in 1918 were also ruled out at the start, as the start of the 1918 influenza pandemic. So basically, the Americans are just always starting shit. Yeah, in this case, they did kind of start shit. Whether they meant it or not, they did. They did start shit. And actually, it appears to have worked in favour of America. They theory if there wasn't a 1918 influenza pandemic, the peace treaties and all the agreements would, would have apparently happened later and it saved millions. I don't have the actual statistic, but there's a theory that it saved millions of lives because the influenza, influenza pandemic hit all the countries so badly. So, basically, the strongest evidence for the origin of the outbreak is not these other ones that I previously mentioned. It's Haxell County, Kansas. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty random place. It's Kansas. What can I say? Yeah, in 1918, there were less than 2,000 people living there in Haxell yep. County. So, I'm going to go into a bit of first-person perspective. We're going to look at Dr. Loring Minor, who was a local doctor at the time. January, February in 1918, he saw that dozens of his healthy patients were struck with a very serious flu, more serious than what is normally expected of the flu. And many of them eventually developed pneumonia and some died. 
quite a few died actually, more than should be not expected a local flu. And the local paper didn't mention this so as to avoid hurting wartime morale. Sounds like 1918. Sounds like 1918, yeah. We don't mention bad things because otherwise we'll lose the war, basically. <laughs> so eventually um, the outbreak of the flu in Haxel County got worse and then as quickly as it came, it disappeared. And while life resumed for everyone else in Haxel County, Dr. Miner maintained concern about the severity of the flu. And because influenza is endemic and quite common, at the time it wasn't tracked by the Federal Public Health Agency. So they didn't really keep numbers of, uh, or collect any data about it. So he actually warned public health officials that is the only public account of the severity of the flu at the time. So if the Spanish flu, which is what we know it as, did originate in Haxel, we need an explanation as how it got arrived. everywhere. Got everywhere. So basically, it left Haxel through army soldiers in training in a nearby city where friends and family visited them. And you can actually track the spread of influenza through the local paper as it described people visiting their friends in army camps and people getting sick. And the first case in the army camp happened in March 4th. Yeah. Um, and one, so one soldier on March cool. 4th was on sick call with in- influenza. The camp at the time had a population of 56,000 troops and within three weeks of this first case, more than 1,100 others were sick enough to require hospitalisation and thousands more needed treatment and at the various infirmaries around the base. And what did the leadership do? I, I, what I can tell, not that much. It just looked like normal flu. And what I'll talk about later, but... They didn't, because they didn't keep numbers of these things, it was hard to really test, prepare for, for it, basically. So the camp near Haxel County got very sick. Many, many people got influenza. But it left Kansas when, it, when soldiers from the army camp moved into the outside world and especially to Europe to fight in the war and the flu spread. So that spring, there was an increase in mortality from influenza and pneumonia, although comparatively to the second wave, which I'll talk about in just a sec, it was generally mild. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. So now we've had the first wave. It's spread through Europe. It's spread around, but the world's back to normal. Psych. We have a second wave. Um, So the first wave wasn't much. It was worse, but not much worse than seasonal flu. Um, but in the autumn of 1918, a more severe flu broke out. It was so severe that people couldn't actually believe it was the same disease. An alarmingly high proportion of patients who contracted this disease died 25 times as many as in the previous flu pandemics. Okay. Yeah. Yes, this is, this is an issue. <laughs> it was serious, yeah. Um, So initially they reported classic symptoms of the flu, fever, sore throat, headache, but eventually they were described as turning blue in the face, having difficulty breathing, even bleeding from their noses and mouths. And if they need to put a graphic warning there. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It was pretty graphic. Apparently their congested lungs were simply too full of fluid to process air. And at this, by this point, death usually followed within hours or days. So very severe. Wow. Yeah, and what was interesting is a lot of the people that 
weren't infected, rather than being a usual, like, averse bell curve, like a U-shape, where most people infected by the flu are young and old, this one was a bell curve. So most people infected were actually of healthy. Oh, is this the one that it attacked more healthy people? Yeah. Because their immune systems. Yeah. Yeah, that's a theory. Uh. They think that actually their immune systems were so good at fighting the virus, they actually overshot it a bit and killed themselves. So this is like the one pandemic I would have survived, basically, is what we're saying. Yeah, for those not knowing, um, Rosie is is prone to getting the flu and then giving it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so you might have been safe. But um, so basically most deaths occurred in a 16-week period in the second... second In how long? So 16 weeks from mid-September to mid-December of 1918. That's pretty... As we're living through coronavirus right now... 16 weeks is quite short, really. Yeah. Very severe. What, what month of corona are we in right now? I don't even want to talk about it. It's <laughs> A lot f- more than three. Yeah. Four, four. I think it's been about four months, I think. It's been a long time. But, you know, we'll see what... <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with that Thanks, one. Melbourne. Thanks, Melbourne, yeah. So, while some people thought this new disease was... This new outbreak was a different disease because of how severe it was. It generally had similar symptoms and it happened so close to the previous wave that scientists did think it was actually the same disease. We think that this second wave, we being general science community from my internet research, think that the second (laughs) wave was so deadly because it picked up... It's a bit complicated, but basically it picked up some other part of a virus. So it just mutated. It, it found well, a it, it found a husband. It was like yes, let's yeah, have a baby. It didn't quite mutate because that would be a slow change over generations. This virus and this happened very quickly, almost almost too quickly. Um, so they basically think that it picked up, um, played hooky with another vi- with another influenza virus and picked up some virulent um, same virus but different. So there was the first wave. There was a second wave, and then we had. A third wave. When will it stop? Well, well, luckily this wave did stop. Um, this was the third wave is probably the last wave of this influenza outbreak. It happened in early nineteen ninety nine, but it wasn't as severe as the second wave. Um, it had intermediate virulence. Wait, what year was the second wave? So the second wave was the end of nineteen eighteen. Oh, okay. So yep. first wave started at the beginning of nineteen eighteen. Second wave was the end of it, and then the third wave started in early nineteen nineteen. But it wasn't quite as okay, bad. I misheard you. I thought you said nineteen ninety nine. I was like, what? Okay. Yeah. So we've had these three waves, but we now so in twenty twenty we, we there's a lot of science that we've seen going on with coronavirus, and they know a lot about viruses. Ugly not enough to deliver us a vaccine just yet, but hopefully it's coming. But in 1918, they didn't really have anything to defend against it. Um, virus was a novel concept in 1918. It wasn't fully understood as it is now. And some of the, some of the doctors assumed they were dealing with a bacterial disease. Um, they didn't have anything against the 1918 influenza epidemic, also known as the Spanish flu. They, there was no flu vaccine. There was no antiviral drugs. And they didn't really have any effective antibiotics, which would be useful in the secondary infections, which some people got. Um, so they couldn't, there wasn't really much they could do. And they kind of worked out that public health me- measures, such as quarantine and closing of public meeting places, could be effective. But unfortunately, they happened too late because, as I mentioned before, 
influenza was not a reportable disease in 1918. They didn't keep tabs on it. So it meant that doctors weren't obliged to report cases to the authorities, and it also meant that these authorities failed to see the pandemic coming. Whereas in 2020, we saw coronavirus coming from... Miles a mile, away. A mile away, and then it came. Yeah. Countries away. Yeah. So what um, I thought was most interesting about this was actually the effect that the influenza pandemic had. The science behind it, very cool. I love, I personally, big fan of viruses. But what was interesting is it had a lasting effect on the world. So basically, in summary, the disease claimed between 50 and 100 million lives. How many people died in World War One? I'll get to that. <laughs> in World War One. Uh, 18 million people died, and in World War Two, 60 million people died. So it probably claimed more than both wars combined died from the flu in 1918. Jesus Christ. Yeah, really, really Jesus. Severe. Yeah. So it at the time that was 2.5, between 2.5 and 5% of the entire world's population. Jesus Christ. Died of, yeah, the flu that flu that year which is really severe and what the flu was important in doing is it changed the mentality of public health so the disease went from an individual problem to a community problem before it was kind of like if you're sick that's a you problem and if you give up give it to other people you've caused that but what they kind of started to realize that it's a social problem we live in communities i don't think america knows that yet yeah well what we're seeing in 2020 is that yeah that Unfortunately, that idea of a community problem hasn't quite reached everybody, but it started. It started in, after this. People kind of realise that it's actually people sick, it's not their problem, it's the whole community's problem, and everyone plays a part in transmitting disease and the effects of it. So in 1918, after this, it was no longer reasonable to blame an individual for catching an infectious disease, and um, you could not just treat him or her in isolation. You had to treat the whole community. Um, and in the 1920s, after this, many governments started embracing the idea of socialised medicine. Healthcare for all, free healthcare. Um, it's like that welfare kind of state kind of thing? Yeah. Um, so Russia was actually the first country to put in a centralised public healthcare system. Oh, okay. It was a state-run insurance scheme and other countries in Western Europe at the time followed suit, which is awesome. In the United States, they developed their employer-based insurance scheme, which dubious effect now but it was better than nothing basically um and they made an effort to consolidate healthcare after the flu again because it's a community issue so now medicine it wasn't just a biological and experimental topic it was now a social sociological topic and public health started to grow as an area a, a joint between medicine and, soci and sociology which is really cool and then, you remember how I said that they didn't report the flu? Yeah. Now they started to. So in 1925, the US had a national disease reporting program. And that, the aim of this was to develop an early reporting system. Ten years later after this, the US citizens were subjected to the first national health survey. To kind of just gauge how everyone was doing, what the health, what the health state was like. How are you going today? Do you have any cold symptoms? Yeah. <laughs> think you need to isolate. You need to isolate. That's, yeah, that's definitely how 2020 is right now. <laughs> there, as a direct result of the pandemic, 
public health leaders were now part of the political conversation. Before the pandemic, they hadn't been let into cabinet meetings or they'd been reduced to pleading for funds and powers from other departments. The 1918 flu pandemic gave public health officials the power politically to actually have effect. There was also recognition of the need to coordinate public health at an international level. And clearly, contagious diseases don't respect borders. As much as Donald Trump wishes they did, they don't. And they realise this. Was that also kind of the thing in the 20th century? Disease became far less a thing of the lower classes. It became much more a universal experience. So upper class people were finally kind of being impacted at almost the same it's yeah. Effect. One really interesting part of disease of epidemiology is who gets impacted, and um, now most of the developed world and the developing world is reasonably sanitized. We understand it. It's not just a, I guess, a poor people problem. It's everyone's problem. It's a community problem. And so, in 1919, in Vienna, Austria, the International Bureau of Fighting Epidemics was founded, and this was a forerunner for today's World Health Organization. The Who. The Who. The Who was started in 1946, and by that time, the understanding of disease and health was changing. Eugenics had been disgraced, and the World Health Organization's constitution enshrined a thoroughly egalitarian approach to health. Which is what you're saying. It's, it's everyone's problem. Poor, rich, female, male, gay, straight, everybody. It it's, affects everybody. The World Health Organization Constitution states that the enjoyment of the highest attainable standard of health is one of the fundamental rights of every human being without distinction of race, religion, political belief, economic and social condition. You would have thought they would have come up with that sooner. You'd hope, but things were (laughs) rolling before 1946 when it got started. But yeah, that's pretty cool. And while that philosophy is great, it won't eliminate the threat of flu pandemics as we've seen this year. Go us. Go us, coronavirus. Um, But it does kind of transform the way that human beings, or you'd hope, are confronted with them. And it was born of an understanding that pandemics were a social, not an individual problem. It wasn't the one, that one soldier in Haxel County's problem that he got coronavirus. It was the whole community's problem. Sorry, I mean, (laughs) I mean influenza, that he got influenza. It was the whole community's problem. Well, it was the whole world's problem. It was the whole world's problem. And I think... I'm at the end of what I have to tell you today. I'd like to thank Evangeline for our new intro song. It sounded amazing. This podcast was inspired by an article in the Smithsonian Magazine called How the 1918 Flu Pandemic Revolutionised Public Health. A great read by Laura Spinney. Definitely recommend it. And I also used an article by John M. Barry, which was published in the Journal of Translational Medicine. I also use some information from the CDC to support this podcast as well. Don't forget to like, comment um, and follow my TikTok. All of those things will really help the success of this podcast and I would really, really appreciate it. So if you want to see more of this, please follow my TikTok. That is HHH podcast, triple H podcast on TikTok. I post some funny little videos relevant to the podcast. Uh, I would really appreciate it if you checked it out. Thank you very much.